honky alcoholic. Um, good to see all y'all. Um, yeah, 20 minutes is going to be fun. Um, uh, excuse me, I, I don't really speak a whole lot, so we'll just see how this goes. Um, I did pray and meditate today in order to figure out how this is going to go, so God's just going to flow through me. Um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I wouldn't want to say different than anybody else. I grew up uh, just like, uh, like everybody else. I was scared. I didn't know what the hell was going on, and I thought I was different, but, you know, it turns out I was just like everybody else. Um, I was definitely a uh, middle class, you know, just a well, uh, well brought up, um, and uh, didn't know what the hell was going on until uh, I got into high school, and that's probably when I started drinking alcohol, and uh, everything really started to click. Um, you know, I, I went to Mexico, and it was the first time that I ever drank. Uh, I was 17, and um, all of a sudden, everything made sense. I went from being this uh, nobody, scared, lying in the corner um, kind of kid to all of a sudden, um, you know, I've got three friends from outside of the country that want to take me out to all the clubs. I'm drinking, and they're like, hey, you want your ear pierced? And I'm like, yeah, let's go get an ear piercing. I got 100 pesos. Let's do it. Like, you want a tattoo? And I'm like, yeah, but I just spent my last 100 uh, pesos on an earring, so I can't do it. Um, came back, and all of a sudden, I come back to the States, and uh, high school is just, I'm, I'm the popular kid, I feel. Um, I can go out to parties, I can drink, I can talk, I can be, uh, you know, exactly who I thought that I was. I thought that I had arrived. Um, you know, college was kind of the same thing, where, uh, you know, just, just alcohol just made it easy. Just going to the parties, being able to drink, being able to be, uh, you know, feel like I could talk about who I was. Um, I don't think I, I didn't think I ever had a problem. Um, I always thought that, you know, like I want to be that guy when I grow up and I'm going to have that magical fridge in the back where you open it up and all of a sudden you've got every single beer from all over the states, uh, country, imported. I'm like, I'm that guy. That guy means that he's made it, um, you know, just... And it's always stocked, always stocked. And, I, you know, and I started that in college. I had my mini fridge, and, uh, you know, I had a, shoot, it was like Sam Adams Oktoberfest, one of the best things you could, um, you yeah, know, buy for like five, ten bucks. Um, and I couldn't keep that stocked. Shit, that was done every single day that I ever bought it. Um, but uh, that's, when, that's when trouble started coming in. Um, alcohol started coming up and presenting itself. Uh, 18, I went to uh, went to a concert, um, drunk off my ass, and decided to give a Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission officer a fake ID. And um, you know, 18, I'm looking at the guy, and I got three three cops looking at me and just going like, "Dude, this isn't your ID. I'm saying you're from Louisiana, I can see where you rubbed off on the back that says this is not a government issued ID." <laughs> Um, you know, if you tell me this is not your ID, I'll give you an MIP and you can go on your way. I'll look them clear in the face and I go, sir, that is my ID. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was my first time going to jail. Um, and, uh, you know, being a guy from North Dallas in the, uh, the fun suburbs going to uh, downtown Dallas County Jail was not fun. Um, you know, being a Again, middle-class white guy with an SMU t-shirt on, swim trunks. They got a cowboy hat at that time. And just throwing in the tank um, was definitely an experience. Um, you know, so that was my first, uh, 
first introduction into AA at 18 as well. Um, and they gave me a year in order to get eight hours done. So about 11 months later, I decided I would start to go to these meetings. And, um, you know, I wish that I had kind of sat and listened to, uh, to what the people had to share when I was there. Um, maybe it would have helped me realize that, you know, I, I, sh I, would, I belonged in that room. But I didn't. Um, I got my eight hours in, got my court card signed, and moved on and kept going. You know, the whole time drinking, um, I made sure that I had a girlfriend that was always 21 or older when I was underage. When I hit 21, there was no need for that. Um, I can do it on my own. Um, so I kept going, not really dealing with anything in life. And then um, shit really started to hit, uh, hit the fan when I found out that my sister, uh, who was two years younger than me, had cancer. Um, that I had no idea how to handle. Um, I grew up in a Christian uh, background, so praying and everything was, uh, you know, something that I was used to. But uh, praying for something like cancer to be taken away, um, I didn't know how to do. Going to the bar was the only thing I knew what to do. And that continued for two years um, as my sister fought and fought and fought. And, um, you know, on the day that she passed, um, I remember I... Walked out to the parking garage of the hospital with my brother. We're smoking a cigarette, look at each other, and just be like, you know what? Get home safe, buddy. I'm going to go hit the bar. Um, so I went home, dropped off my stuff at the apartment, punched a hole in the wall, and hit the bar because that's where I knew that my friends were. You know, um, it was never Jack, Johnny, and Jim, but, you know, it was definitely clear, and it was going down my throat. Um, lived that way for a while. Um, you know, before my sister passed, I also didn't know how to deal with any of that. And so it was fun where I got to dabble into, you know, whatever pills that she has. Because cancer treatment, man, that's fun. Um, I never even, I couldn't even tell you to this day what medications that she was on. I just know that my mom wrote pain on the side of the bottle. And that's what I wanted to take. Um, so it was a lot of, um, a lot of living and not dealing with um, what in the world was going on. Um, once my sister passed, I was, uh, I had graduated college and, uh, decided that, you know, getting a real job out in the world was, you know, not really a thing I wanted to do. So working in the restaurant and bartending with a degree, um, was probably the best thing to do. Bartending, mixing it up, taking the drinks all behind the bar, you know, did that for another five years, loving it. Uh, I went from a good, healthy 150 to about 220 in that time. And um, also had uh, experiences with gout. Knees started swelling, toes started uh, blowing up, and um, all the uh, medical things just came along. Never did this have anything to do with alcohol. Or if it did, it was the liquor that, or the alcohol that I was drinking that day. Um, that beer, that wine, you know, got to cut that out and let's go straight to liquor. Rumplemints is the way to go. Um, I was a 100 proof uh, peppermint schnapps drinker by the age of 25, and that was all that I drank. Um, constant, nonstop, everybody knew it. So it was, uh, I'd walk in the do door at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 
for a shift at 4.30 and they'd be like, you want your morning coffee? I'd be like, yes. Be three shots of mints and a water and go on my way and go to work. And I'll be back in a few hours to finish it off. Um, it was every day until um, you know, I got decided to go out one night and take uh, my past uh, pit bull out and um, continue that way and uh, drive home until I got my DUI. Installed the breathalyzer in the car, AA again, uh, community service, and again, I did not listen and did not go the way that I was supposed to. That was, um, you know, cool if I live close enough to work, I don't have to start the car with the breathalyzer. I can still drink and I can walk home and walk there. Um, I can try and drink until four o'clock in the morning and then not blow uh, hot at four o'clock in the afternoon. That didn't work. So again, it was walking. Um, life was great, man. I didn't know how, what was going on. And um, shit started hitting the fan even more and more and more. I bought a house, spent all my money on that. And then I had nothing to furnish it with because all the other money went back to the bar. Um, by 30, I lived in a very nice house that I owned, and all I had in there was a couch and a bed on the floor. And um, blackouts came every night, wake up in the morning, and uh, I'd have a trash can full of uh, EKG stickers because somehow it looked like I maybe had a heart attack. I don't know, but uh, that was in the trash can of the kitchen. And um, it was just, it was a whirlwind, and it kept going. Um, at this time, I'm, I'm 30, getting on 32, and um, I can barely walk. I've gone from this 210, 220 to 130 pounds because I decided that liquor was the only thing to do, and um, I wouldn't eat. Um, finally, I was in enough pain where I called my mom up, and I was like, hey, look, um, let's have dinner tonight. You know, I'll buy you, uh, buy you drinks at happy hour, and we'll go out do that and uh, she picks me up gets me in the car and first things out of her mouth were uh, what's wrong you never call me I started breaking down and telling her that you know hey mom I got a problem she helped me get into the hospital um, did my detox and I went into uh, into treatment in Texas and um, at this point I really wanted to uh, to get going and I was like 30 days is gonna clean me up and I'll be fine and I'll be on my way um, learned a couple things. I sat in the corner, shared when I was supposed to, and um, somehow on day 29 of my 30-day stay, they talked me into coming out to California. That's what saved my life. Um, as my mom drove me out to the, the airport, she told me one other thing before I, uh, before I left to come out from Texas, and it was, uh, you know, that uh, I was two days away from giving you uh, an intervention with your brother um, before he left before you actually came in. That was my first experience with God telling me um, that, you know, uh, he, he's going to help me on my way. And it was God doing things for me before I could. Um, so I came out to California and did a, an IOP program. And um, about three months in, I still wasn't doing shit, just basically getting by and everything. And they tell me that, you know what, you're going to have to... Uh, you're going to have to get out of here and go somewhere else because, you know, we can't help you anymore. You don't have a job. You know, you, you, you're not getting a sponsor. You're not doing anything. 
and uh, it scared the living hell out of me because I knew I couldn't go back. Um, so I had a couple of friends that I did meet in treatment, and we decided that you know we needed to make it to, or we had, we were told we had to make it to five different meetings a week. And all of us being a cesspool of just, you know, hey, we're alcoholics, we're junkies, we're, you know, we're kitchen sinks, let's go find all the different ones that we can. We went to AA, we went to CA, we came to Heroin Anonymous here. Um, I'm an alcoholic who didn't ever do heroin, but I found a fellowship in Heroin Anonymous um, when we started coming out here. Um, I found a sponsor, and, um, you know, that's when I started doing exactly what was asked of me. And... Um, you know, first questions that he asked me was, uh, you know, he, he really laid it on. I, I knew that I was going to be, or that I was an alcoholic, and he just said that first thing that really scared me was like, okay, what's alcoholism? What makes you an alcoholic? Um, why? And I'm like, why are you asking questions? So, you know, like, uh, what's, what's this mean? Um, he's like, well, you're supposed to tell me. I'm like, no, aren't you, you're the sponsor. Take me to the steps. He's like, I'm going to ask you the questions. I'm going to have you do the work. And, um, it was the coolest thing. We went through the book. We read these. We went through that first step, you know, of um, what is power, powerlessness. Got into it. Um, started getting into the whole God thing. And, um, you know, I told him about my sister and how she had passed. And I no longer believed or had faith or anything on that. And um, we started talking about the spiritual malady. Um, sorry, I got five minutes left, so I'll kind of go through this real quick. Um, the spiritual malady that um, that an alcoholic truly has um, started getting up and praying and um, saying hello, saying uh, you know, talking to God, and getting into this this work. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that I could ever talk to God again um, after my sister passed. And uh, coming in here and doing that step three, we got outside and uh, I got on my knees and I said the third step prayer uh, right before a meeting started. And, um, you know, I know, my sponsor was laughing at me. He's like, man, we missed uh, everybody showing up by one minute. And I'm like, all right, well, thank God, right? Um, no, it was... Um, it was something really strong that um, all of a sudden I could talk with God again and start working on um, getting feeling better. Um, went through the inventory on fourth step. You know, I started making um, my list, getting through the amends and getting into uh, all the rest of the steps. Um, but nine is where um, where I really got. Um, got going with a lot of good things was uh, I got into the nine step promises meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous um, I still work that today and it was going through every day and talking about the different things that God has provided and that we realize um, in our life of um, you know God working for us us not wanting to look back on the past and shut these doors and um, you know I, I realized that every day God was working for me and um, and helping take away this whole alcoholism that I had. Um, you know, the steps of 10 and 11 and 12, doing my daily meditation and prayer, 
working in and working with others. I got into working in recovery and, um, you know, it was, uh, it was something really cool because it, it humbled the hell out of me. Um, I get to work with guys every single day that, um, that have zero to 30 days all the way to 90 days. And then I get to see them in meetings afterwards. I get to see guys that i worked with on day one, take a one year chip. Um, something like that is really super cool. Um, I don't, I don't know how to explain it because I don't work with these guys in a, in a, um, in a 12 step way. Um, it's not my 12 step. Um, they are not sponsees of mine, but I get to work with them and I get to talk with them and I get to humble myself and I get to get back to that and be like, hey, dude, you know, I couldn't walk when I first came into these rooms. So I get it. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's something really cool being able to see people take a year, six months, and uh, seeing them back in the same rooms um, the day after, or sorry, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, it's just Alcoholics Anonymous and Heroin Anonymous, all of these rooms helped me get to my connection with God to pray every morning and to gain a sense of serenity in order to move on every single day. I get up, I pray, and I go through all the works. Um, this past year has been one hell of a year, as we all know. Um, COVID's crazy. I lost my father this past May to, um, to depression. And Throughout this entire year, I did not pick up the bottle, and a lot of that is due to the fellowship that I've met out here, everything that I've learned, and talking with God. When I found out the news of my father, that prayer came first, and then talking went in a meeting right afterwards, calling a sponsor, calling a therapist, things that I would never do when I lost my sister. Um, you know, it used to be going straight to the bottle and drinking. Now I get to go up here, live a spiritual life, talk with you guys on the regular, and, and just live every day happy, joyous, and free. And um, it's just a really amazing world out there, and I'm just happy to be living in it. And so thank you very much for letting me share. Um, my name's Kyle. I'm an alcoholic. I hope you guys got something. So.